I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 4. We looked at the first uh, nine verses last week, uh, considered the signs that God gave Moses to demonstrate both to him and to Israel that it was God who sent him, God who was working through him. Each sign demonstrating demonstrating something about God's intention to work with and through Moses. Today we're looking at verses 10 through 17, where he addresses more concretely, more directly, Moses' fear. Looking at the start of the chapter, so we get that context, Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put it back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Amen. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Since becoming a minister nearly nearly two decades ago, I have had the privilege to participate in the ordination or installation of more than 70 elders and deacons. By my count, I've officiated at 20 ordination services, not counting those for ministers. Numerous times, I have visited with men about to be ordained. And sometimes with men recently ordained who were wrestling with feelings of deep inadequacy for the office to which they had been called. 
With ordination looming, some of the men were struck by the depth of their sin, feeling like abject hypocrites. Others pondered the spiritual trials they would need to help God's people through, recognizing that they didn't have the wisdom that these people needed. And still others wondered what they would say, what counsel they would give, when they had to deal with someone who was deeply wounded, deeply hurt. And they recognized that they had no idea. And those are just the popular fears and worries. For a while, it concerned me, worried me a bit, that so many men called to be office bearers in the church felt so very inadequate. But then, but then I stopped and remembered how I felt. How I felt the first time I walked up that center aisle to the pulpit of the church in Hills, Minnesota. Realizing that these people expected to hear God's word from me. And I remember that first visit I made to someone whom I knew was not eager to hear from me. And the first time I walked in a hospital room of someone who I knew was very near to death. Each of those times I felt absolutely insufficient. At times I felt like a true fraud. It's not uncommon. In fact, it's not even inappropriate. Ministers, elders, deacons, are called to represent God and to bear His authority. It's a high and lofty calling, and yet we are men who all our lives have wrestled against sin, who all our lives have struggled to know what is the right thing to do and the right thing to say, and far too often we've failed at it. We're weak. We're broken. We are inadequate. And so it's not a problem when we recognize our weakness or our insufficiency or our need as office bearers in the church. But it is essential that we handle that weakness well. On the one hand, we must not give up. We must not walk away and say, no, not me. But on the other hand, neither may we deceive ourselves by thinking that we are or that we can make ourselves sufficient by our own effort. We need to recognize our weakness and our need, and we need to look to God to provide. And that's really what he's showing us in this text. Yes, we're weak, just like Moses was. And yes, we're inadequate, just like Moses was. And every other servant of the Lord. But God is there to provide for us. The God who calls us, the God who ordains us, is the God who equips us and works through us amazingly, astonishingly. And therefore, He longs for us to trust Him. That's what we see in this text. God provides. God provides for the needy servant whom He calls. And the first way He shows His provision in the first few verses that we have in our text, is by supplying the gifts that his servant needs to equip him. So that's the first thing we see here. He supplies gifts to equip his servant. Remember what we just saw in chapter 3, the start of chapter 4. God caught Moses' attention through that 
amazing sight of a, a bush that was burning in fire but was not burning up, right? And he told Moses that he, he heard... He had heard the oppression of Israel. He had resolved to deliver them from their slavery. And he was sending Moses to bring about that deliverance. And Moses, well, his first response was, who is this, right? Whom shall I say has spoken to me? And so God told Moses, revealed his covenant name, recalled his covenant promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then Moses expressed concern that Israel wouldn't believe him. So God gave him those three signs. The ability to turn a staff into a serpent and back again. The ability to cause his hand to become leprous and then clean again. And then the ability to turn the water of the Nile into blood on the dry ground. Each of them a miracle. Each of them a demonstration not just of God's power, but of the nature of God's power to deliver his people. Now up to this point we sit back and we watch. Kind of like spectators. Because let's be honest, we know who God is. We know how powerful He is. At least academically we know. And we, I think for the most part, aren't sitting there with folded arms and doubtful minds saying, you know, until I see a miraculous sign, I'm not going to believe. It's not us. We get it. We believe that God exists. We believe that He made the world in six days that he separated the waters for Israel to pass through, that he's able to raise the dead and in fact raised his own son. We believe all of that. We get it. But then we come to verse 10. Moses says, I am not eloquent. And we go, yep. Matter of fact, that's kind of a gloss on what Moses actually says. What he literally says is, I am not a man of words. Words are not Moses' tool of choice. Whatever gifts he might have, speaking isn't one of them. And since God has called him to speak on his behalf, first to the elders of Israel, and then to Pharaoh, one of the most powerful kings in the whole world at that time, well, Moses sees his trouble speaking as something of a problem. So, What exactly was his problem? We really don't know. He says, I am not a man of words. He says, I am slow of speech and of tongue. He tells us that this is not a new problem, neither in the past nor now has this changed. There's a lot of speculation about that. Maybe he stuttered. Maybe he got stage fright. He couldn't handle it when he was in front of people. We don't know. What we know is that Moses felt himself insufficient, unqualified, not able to do the job that God had given him to do. He thinks that it's... Imagine this. He thinks that it's a mistake for God to call him as though God could make a mistake. That God got the wrong guy. And so he pleads for God to recognize, I am not the prophet you need. Dear brothers, how many of you can sympathize with Moses at that point? Does the thought of applying God's word to a specific family at a family visit 
get you nervous? How about the prospect of teaching catechism or of leading a Bible study? What about praying in public? Does that make you break out in a cold sweat? Or the thought of speaking up in a meeting to defend the actions of counsel before a sometimes skeptical congregation? Does that raise up a flutter in the pit of your stomach? How about the idea of approaching someone in a a time of shame to offer help? Or someone who's firmly entrenched in their sin and calling them to repent? Does that make you maybe want to go hide somewhere? Are you tempted to echo Moses' objection? And I'm not just talking about those who are serving as elders and deacons. I'm talking to all of you men who might be called. And who when you stop and think of what might be required of you if you're called, start thinking of other things that you need to be doing instead. But brothers, we must not. Moses misunderstood the requirements for a calling from God. You see, he heard what God said and he thought it was up to him. That it was up to his gifts, his abilities, his understanding, his power to do what God was calling him to do. But that's wrong. Paul understood. 1 Corinthians 2 Paul tells the church in Corinth, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Paul got it. He's like, you know what? There are people who say I'm not a very good preacher. That's true. There are people who say I'm not very impressive. Yeah. There are people who say I'm physically weak. Accurate. There are people who say they'd rather listen to a lot of other people than me. I get that. He understood that. But he also knew that because God sent the word through such a weak vessel, it was evident that their faith rested not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In fact, he says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I would be more concerned, in fact, I am more concerned, when God calls someone who believes that they are just the right guy. Just the one this congregation needs. That gets me a little concerned. Because that's someone who's resting in themselves. Moses felt utterly and completely insufficient because he was resting in himself. And whenever we rest in ourselves, we're not enough. We're exactly the wrong person to serve God, to serve His people. So God sets about reminding Moses of that. Look at verse 11. He asks him a couple questions. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? The answer is obvious. God does these things. God's the one who created us with all of the gifts and all of the abilities and all of the traits and all of the characteristics that each of us has, each of which is different. God is the one who equips us throughout our lives with different gifts and also who ordains for different 
defects and struggles and trials for each one. God is completely and utterly sovereign over every single one of us. And the implication of that is that God is entirely able to provide what his servant needs. If Moses needs strength, God can strengthen him in a heartbeat. If Moses lacks a talent or a gift, God's got the whole storehouse full. The same holds for all of us. Whatever you need for life in general, whatever you need for a particular calling, a particular moment, a particular challenge, God is able to give it to you in that moment. And He will if that's what He's calling you to do. So God answers Moses' fear with a call to faith and a call to action. A call to trust and obey, if you will. Now therefore go, he says. What a simple, unwavering, unconfusable command. No caveats, conditions, opportunities for doubt like a parent with a stubborn child that doesn't want to go and do what he's been told to do. Go! But notice the encouragement. I will be with your mouth. Moses might be too weak or too fearful or too disabled to speak, but Moses is not the one whose strength is being relied upon. God is entirely able to strengthen him, to encourage him, to provide him with the wisdom or the insight or the guidance that he needs. Moreover, God tells Moses, I will teach you what to speak. Moses need not worry that he might not know exactly what the people need to hear. God will show him. God will explain it to him in that time. Brother elders and deacons, this is God's encouragement and reminder to you, and not you alone. Likewise, you who are not ordained, but whom God calls in various ways to lead, or to teach, or to disciple, to guide. Maybe it's as a parent who suddenly finds himself or herself a teacher. Didn't see that coming. Maybe it's one of the ladies who's suddenly asked to be a Bible study leader or a mentor for a young lady. Maybe a young man who's been asked to mentor a younger man or to lead a study with a friend at work and you feel utterly insufficient. But listen, God knows your weakness. God knows your fear. He made you. He formed you in the womb. Every gift, every ability, every insight you have is from Him. He knows more about you than you do. Now back in the day... Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 10, verses 18 to 20, You will be dragged, as his disciples, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, he says, Do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, he's not saying don't do your homework. That's not a justification for the minister to go out and, you know, spend the week hunting or playing golf or something so that, you know, 
he doesn't have to work on a sermon. But what he is saying is when he gives you the calling, when he sets before you that opportunity, he's going to ensure that you are equipped. And if that opportunity comes up in a heartbeat, like an arrest by an ungodly governor, or like an opportunity to witness to an ungodly co-worker, or an opportunity to lead an unruly child, God will equip you with what you need. Your calling is to trust Him and to go. To trust Him, to believe that He will give you what you need and to obey that calling that He has set before you. Moses isn't there yet. He's still not really convinced that God has the situation in hand. And so in verse 13... He does the unthinkable. Still shaking in his sandals, he says, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Anyone else. Exempt me. But God's response, and our second point, shows that he doesn't He doesn't honor that kind of fear. But at the same time, he doesn't leave us alone. He sends co-workers. Someone whose gifts and abilities and talents complement ours. Kids, I mean by complement, not, oh, you look so nice today. I mean, one who matches us, completes us. He sends co-workers to compliment his servant. But his first response, his first response should make us sit up and take notice. Moses says, please send someone else. And we read then, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Why was he angry at Moses? That's a significant phrase. That same phrase is the phrase that is spoken concerning Solomon when he allowed his unbelieving wives to turn his heart away from wholeheartedly serving the Lord. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Solomon. The anger of the Lord is not something to be trifled with. It's not something to be be sneezed at. Why is he so angry? It's because what Moses is doing there, it's not, that's not an act, that's not a statement of humility, of the good kind. It says, I don't want to think too much of myself. I don't, I don't want to you know, think that I'm the answer. No, no, no. This is a statement of unbelief. Please send someone else. God has just said, I will give you what you need. I'm the one who made you, the one who equips you, the one who's always with you. You will receive exactly what you need when you need it from me. And Moses says, I don't believe it. Nope, I don't believe it. This isn't the main point of this text, by the way, but that... Anger of the Lord being kindled against Moses when he says that, that should make any of you men tremble when you consider a nomination to office that has been sent to you. And you start thinking, how can I get out of that?
If there's a sin in your life that needs to be addressed, okay. Ask for release so that you can address that sin. If there's doubt about what we believe, okay, ask for release, but then go and gain certainty concerning the truth of God's Word. But if you simply feel that you're inadequate, or you simply feel that you don't have the time, the ability, the gifts, the inclination, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses because he said, please send someone else. That should, that should make us shudder. But he doesn't give up on Moses. He said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. And behold, he is coming out to meet you. God turns Moses' attention away from his own weakness, away from his own fear, away from his own worry. And looks to his brother Aaron, three years older than him. And precisely where Moses himself felt weak, that's where Aaron evidently excelled. And God was sending Aaron. He had put it in Aaron's heart to go and visit Moses, to go see how his brother was. Aaron would embody the help that Moses needed. He says, now you, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. In other words, Moses would still be the mediator. God would instruct Moses, this is what needs to be said. And Moses would instruct Aaron, this is what to tell them. And the two of them together, Moses receiving the insight from the Lord, doing the acts of power, demonstrating God's might, Aaron speaking on his behalf and on God's as the prophet. The two of them together would minister to God's people the way they needed it. And God promised. Look at the end of verse 15. I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. God would be with the mouth of Moses teaching him how to teach Aaron. He would be with the mouth of Aaron teaching him to express that truth faithfully and well. And God would bless them both. He, he says... He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. Folks, this is how God still works among his servants. How many of the men of this church God has called to serve at some point as elders and deacons. And once you're called to the office, by the way, ordination is for life. Service is for a specified period of time. God has called those men and you know them. And no two of them are alike. Some are exceptionally skilled at speaking and leading in public. Others have an amazing ability to diffuse very tense situations. Some can peel away the layers of a problem or a dispute to find what's at the core. While others are best suited to a one-on-one kind of counseling where they're working with someone to disciple them. Some of them are prayer warriors like no other. While others know their theology and are able to guide the church through that. None of us, however, none of us, elders, ministers, deacons, has all of those gifts. None of us is the whole package. The church needs all of them. All of their gifts, all of their abilities combined together. 
every single office bearer this church has ever had or ever will is deficient. Certain gifts and abilities are not in my possession. But others of our office bearers have those gifts and abilities. And meanwhile, they lack some necessary gift that another has. The church needs far more than any one of the office bearers can provide. Just as Israel needed not just Moses, but also Aaron. And also the the encouragement later on of Joshua and Caleb. And likewise, in a later age, Israel would need the gifts of David but also the moral guidance of Nathan, and also the spiritual leadership of Abiathar and Zadok. Never in the history of God's people has God sent all that His people needed in one person, except when He sent His Son. Jesus is the only one who has been the whole package, the only one who has had all the gifts, all the insights, all the power in Himself. He came as the perfect prophet, able to proclaim the fullness of God's will for every one of his people. He came as the perfect priest, able to live a life of pure righteousness and to die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins and to rise up triumphant even over death and hell to intercede on our behalf at God's right hand. And He leads us even today as the perfect King who has authority over all the world, all the creation. Jesus truly possesses within Himself all that His people need. Yet none of us, obviously, is Jesus. We all are deeply deficient That's true for God's people individually. That's true also for the office bearers who lead the church. And therefore God has given us three offices. He's given us ministers who fulfill most clearly the prophetic office of proclaiming and applying God's word. Elders who lead the church in their kingly office. Deacons who encourage and guide the church in their priestly office of making themselves spiritual sacrifices. And within those three offices, there are men of different gifts who work together to bless the church. The strengths of one overcoming the weaknesses of another. The insights of one providing the guidance another needs. Every last one of us is flawed and insufficient. On our own, we could never meet the needs of the church. But God delights to use what is weak in the eyes of the world... in order to shame the strength of men and to demonstrate that it's His strength that we need. Folks, we should delight in the way God equips His church because as He does provide, as He raises up men who are flawed, who are weak, who are insufficient of themselves, and then He supplies the gifts they need to equip them, and He grants co-workers who perfectly complement them, As he does that, we see how perfectly God provides for us as a congregation and for us as individuals. And that gives us assurance that no future need we might possibly have will he overlook. No lack that might afflict us will he fail to provide for. Because we are the apple of his eye. We are the bride whom he delights in. And He is the one who meets every need of His people. 
Dear brothers who serve as leaders in the church, elders, deacons, catechism teachers, leaders, disciplers, fathers. Likewise, you sisters who serve in leadership roles, you who teach at home or at church, you who lead in Bible studies and service ministries, you all without exception are needy. You have blind spots, you have weaknesses, you lack particular skills or talents that you sometimes need. But praise God, He has not called you to serve on your own, not one of you. God provides for each needy servant whom He calls. That was true for Moses. That was true for Joshua and Gideon, for Samson and David, for Jeremiah and for Daniel. And that is true for you. Every one of you. So trust Him to supply the gifts that you lack, equipping you to minister to the church. Praise Him for sending co-workers, fellow leaders who compliment you where you lack. And serve Him with confidence. Trust and obey. Knowing that He will grant exactly what you need as you need it. And dear people of God, the church whom the Lord loves. When you look on those office bearers whom He has set over you, the leaders who are before you, you know these men. You grew up with some of them. You remember the dumb things they've done. The failures that have been evident in them. And it's really easy to scorn them because of that. Don't. They didn't call themselves to be elders or deacons. God did. They didn't equip themselves to be elders or deacons or catechism teachers or disciplers or whatever leadership role... God called them. God equips them. God will use them. And because of their weakness, it will be evident that God is the one who has brought about the increase. Amen. So let us trust Him to use these men in their weakness. Let us trust Him to equip these men with the insight and the guidance they need. And let us believe that God will build His church whom He loves. He sent His Son to die that we might live. He's not going to fail to bring us to completion. So let us look to Him. Let us trust in Him. And let us give Him all the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and we praise You. You are the one who gives us exactly what we need, when we need it. And if it were not You doing it, we would be of all men the most hopeless. Teach us to trust You. Teach us to believe that you will equip us, that you will use us, and that you will continue to use those men whom you set over us. And may it continually be evident that you are the one in whom we trust, from whom we are helped, and who deserves all our praise, honor, and love. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In response, let's ask him in song to use us, to equip us for the service to which he calls. As we sing together number 404 in our Psalter hymnal, number 404, all 